Hello and welcome back to the OmniTalk Spotlight series, the series where we talk about the companies, the people, and the technologies that are changing the future of retail. Today we are joined by Jordan Fisher, CEO of Standard Cognition. And we're going to ask Jordan a few things. We're going to ask Jordan about his new announcements related to Circle K and his planned new store with that brand in sometime in 2021. We're going to talk a little computer vision theory, and most importantly, wait for the end, we're going to put Jordan on the hot seat and ask him a funny question about what was the deal with all those rumors surrounding 3,000 stores in Japan in time for the 2020 Olympics. Jordan, thanks for being here today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, this is cool. Ann and I have wanted to sit down with you, you for a while. You know, we've talked to you, gosh, I think almost now, not every company in this space, but many of the companies in the checkout uh, free retail technology space. And so it's exciting to sit down with you and to talk a little standard cognition and where you guys have been and where you guys are going, especially in light of some of the announcements you've made recently, as well as some of the announcements of your competitors of late too. There's a lot going on in the space. So let's start, let's just start with the obvious question. We've never talked before. So I would love to know who are you first and then to give us a little background on standard cognition. Sure. Yeah. Happy to, happy to. Uh, so, you know, just a quick, quick brief on myself. I've had a pretty diverse career. I guess you might, you might say I've, I've ran a video game company. I okay. used to work at the Securities and Exchange Commission. I was I was building out their their machine learning infrastructure teams for the way that they do fraud detection, insider trading, et cetera, on on the financial markets, which was a blast. Uh, I used to be a mathematician before that, so I've kind of kind of gone back and forth across across various different uh, disciplines. <laughs> but you know, for me, the thing that I'm most passionate about by far is, is really computer vision and this, this revolution that I think we're on the precipice of. You know, I think it's, it's on the scale of, of mobile, it's on the scale of internet, it's this incredible force. And if you think about it, like what happens when a computer can see as well as a human? You know, and you, it really changes everything and unlocks the physical world, whereas all the previous revolutions that we've seen in technology have been about the, the digital world, you know, something that's behind the screen and you have to interface with the computer somehow. Whereas what's amazing about vision is it interfaces with you. We deploy cameras, we put intelligence behind it, and suddenly the computer has met you in the physical world and, and you just get to, you know, act natural, do do the things that you normally do, like shop, uh, and the computer takes care of the rest of it. Yeah, or have a car drive for you, right? Same type of general principle and idea. How did you get your taste of that? So like in that background, where did the computer vision specific angle you know, come into things and you say, Hey, that's really interesting to me. And that's kind of where I want to spend my, you know, my focus. Where did that happen for you? Yeah. I mean, I, maybe I'll out myself here a little bit. I've always, I've always been passionate about AI, but I, I didn't take my career in that direction originally okay. uh, because, you know, you know, a decade plus ago, AI was, was fizzling out and I didn't want to go down with that ship. <laughs> um, but you what know, was it, the, the, movie, the Haley Joel Osment movie or what was it that was, that was making it not work very well at that time? Uh, I, I mean, you know, I mean, the, <laughs> I guess, you know, everyone, everyone talks, sorry, this, I can go on forever about AI, okay. but you know, you know, 10, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, you know, progress yeah. just wasn't there. And everyone always said, well, you know, maybe we just need more compute, more data, yeah. bigger computers, and eventually it'll just, it'll just happen. Right. You know, if you think about intelligence in animals, you've got, you know, a guinea pig, and then you've got a cat and a dog, and then a human, and you're like, well, it's just, it's just a bigger brain, right? There's something right. different. It's just, you need more. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what we need too. We just need bigger computers. Uh, and of course, most rational observers of the AI industry were like, no, that's insane. 
<laughs> that's wishful thinking. Uh, let's keep working on fundamental algorithms. But it turned out to be the case. We just threw enough data and compute at this. And it wasn't until, you know, over the last five, 10 years that that was enough that you had these amazing breakthroughs. Uh, and really, you know, five years ago, four to five years ago was kind of this, this real watershed moment with computer vision in particular, image recognition, where suddenly computers were recognizing you know, dog breeds better than humans. We're recognizing, you know, cars and, you know, random, random everyday objects uh, better than a, a human could. It was, it was this really amazing moment. Uh, I was already in the machine learning space at the time at the SEC. Okay. We were not doing image recognition. We were doing other types of machine learning modeling. Um, but I, you know, I saw this, this sort of front coming from the computer vision world. And I was like, that's, that's it. I've got to be, you know, there day, day one when this industry starts starts really picking up speed. So jumped in. So you jumped in. That's interesting. We've heard that now from a couple people in your chair where there was that, that seminal moment within computer vision and the dog's always the referenced example, I feel like too, in terms of, Hey, that's where things really changed. And it showed that we could do things that we weren't necessarily sure or able to do before. And people have kind of gotten behind this. So it's, it's cool now to hear that theme now play out in, an, in another interview that we're doing. Okay. So then how does that, how do you parlay that now into what you're doing, standard cognition, what's it all about? How long has it been around? Yeah, yeah. So we were, you know, my, my penultimate job here, if I can use a uh, unreasonable sure. word, <laughs> was, a, was, was at the SEC. And, you know, we had this great team of, of researchers, uh, but we were all passionate about ML in general. So we, okay. we started a discussion group after hours. We actually ended up, we were in New York at the time. We ended up drawing from other parts of industry in New York. And we just put together a really amazing research discussion group, uh, you know, a bunch of PhDs just sitting down reading, reading computer vision papers in particular and saying, well, like, look, if our thesis is computer vision eats the world, what are the one, two, three, four top industries that are going to get absolutely revolutionized in a good way uh, because of this technology? So we spent actually about a year really doing a sort of principled analysis of all the different industries and applications. Mm. We had a bunch of bad ideas, which I would you know, grab a beer sometime and I'll tell you. <laughs> um, but retail ended up being, you know, really one of the, the biggest. I think aside from autonomous vehicles, right. retail is, is absolutely the biggest industry that's going to be disrupted. And in a lot of ways, it's going to be disrupted much more quickly than, than vehicles. You know, the regulatory burden is, is much lower. The safety margins are... You know, you know, there are it's no safety margins. We make a mistake, yeah. someone gets catch up for free. It's great. Uh, it's great for the shopper. They'll come back because of that. Um, so, you know, really because of those, those reasons, we just thought this was going to be, this was going to be the, the front of the computer vision revolution. You know, when we think five years from now and we think about, you know, our, our family and our friends and where were they, where are they going to experience computer vision for the first time out in the wild? I really think it's going to be checkout. It's going to be in their shopping experience. That's, that's where they experienced the revolution first. And we got really excited about that. I'm curious. And like, I'm curious, like what were the, some of the variables or parameters on those sheets of paper as you were going through that exercise or the computer screen, however you guys did that, that led you to that. Cause the other side of the story we've heard is, Hey, I was standing in line, even big computer vision walks. I was standing in line. And I just got tired of doing it. And I was like, Holy crap, I can use computer vision this way. Mm -hmm. Sounds like that didn't happen for you. What were some of the dynamics for you that was like, okay, this seems like a space that's ripe for the innovation that computer vision allows. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So part of it was on the computer vision side, part of it was on the, the business side. We had, we had one business guy that we allowed into our group. <laughs> Did he bring the beer? Because I feel like that based on that, your description of that uh, round table that you guys had going on, it sounds pretty intense. So hopefully. it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was a fun group. No, I, I brought the beer. I was the, you know, nice. I was the Trojan horse that was trying to you know, no, no one actually, maybe half the people knew that I was intending on starting a company out of this. The other half just thought I was, you know, hosting and having a cool discussion. Group. Academically curious. Academically yeah. curious. Yeah. So I was, but you know, I was, you know, kind of slowly judging everybody and <laughs> figuring out who was going to be poached for, for, for this new company. So I was providing the beer. <laughs> so that was, <laughs> that was my social lubrication. Social lubrication. Yep. Um, but you know, the, on the, on the business side, we were, you know, of course, looking for a, a big TAM and retail has, you know, it's 25 trillion plus at this point, 90% of that physical retail. So it's, you know, you, you have this massive opportunity to disrupt an industry that really hasn't been disrupted in, in decades. You know, the barcode scanners were the last real major innovation for, for checkout and retail right. in general, self-checkout, you know, you, maybe you consider it an innovation, but really it's kind of a step backwards in a lot of ways. Coin in a lot of ways. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. exactly. Um, so, you know, I, I think the, the market size was, was massive. Uh, and then we, you know, did a deep dive on the technology, you know, kind of an analysis at the time, this was, you know, three, three years ago, we were like, well, we think probably two to three years of, of fundamental R and D to, to get there. And that was actually about what we wanted. We wanted a problem that wasn't like ripe in the sense that you could just productize it the next day. We wanted something that was going to be a bit rarefied so that there wasn't so many competitors. And, and I think we see that today. There are some really interesting teams in this space, but not that many. And I think the door is kind of already shut a little bit in terms of allowing new entrants into the space. Because there's, you know, there's a long three plus year R&D cycle for this tech. It's kind of hard to be a, a copycat. And all the, all the competitors in the space today really kind of came out of the same zeitgeist three or four years ago. It's kind of strange that we all started. Yeah, that's kind same of the same time. seminal moment we were talking about. Yeah, it does feel like things are starting to congeal a little bit here, which I definitely want to get to. So well, yeah, and so okay, so like, so three years ago, you, you basically say, hey, we're going to do this. So that's what 2017, you're like, hey, we're going to do this. What happens then? Because, um, you know, the, the, you formed the team that you went out for funding. You guys are Y Combinator too, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Y Combinator was was definitely a, a critical junction for us. We'd already quit and started a couple months before that. We were we were in New York at the time. We ended up moving the company to San Francisco, though okay. now we're we're more distributed. Uh, we had a we were literally a garage startup. Okay. So one of one of our founders was in Austin, Texas. Okay. And this this is just anecdotal. Sorry, it has nothing to do with the wider arc of the industry. But uh, <laughs> it turned out it was it was cheaper for us to all fly to Austin on the weekends and use his garage as our lab hmm. than it was to rent an additional space in New York City. <laughs> so Austin ended up being being our, our place. And we had a, our original sort of forcing function on a timeline perspective was, was Austin summer because we had these massive GPU machines which mm. can overheat very easily. Mm. And we knew that by the time Austin summer came, it was gonna be you know, 105, 110 degrees and these things would just melt. So we're like, okay, we've got we've to make enough progress in the next couple months before summer hits to justify getting an office and, <laughs> and uh, right. you know, getting, getting out of here. So then we got into YC on some of that progress and got kind, it. Of, okay. kind of took and, off as a real company. And then San Francisco came from there. That makes sense. I love this. This is the great part of these interviews is you get to hear these sides of the stories of entrepreneurship, which are really real. Um, well, one of the things you did there too that I think has, has always been really interesting to, to both Anne and to me is that you guys actually then you went out and built your own store, right, in San Francisco as well. Tell us a little bit about that, why you did it, 
what its yeah. intent was. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I, I like to talk about a few phases of the industry that we're, we're building here, really kind of three, three phases that I think are, are super important. Okay. And phase one for us was, was very much like, just, is, is this possible? Can you, can you deliver autonomous checkout, this checkout free experience? Even if you're not doing it in a way that's scalable, that doesn't necessarily need to make sense for other retailers, but just if you control everything, it's your store, it's your products, it's your shelves, it's your cameras, um, you know, it's, it's our employees running the store, right? If you control everything and the conditions are just right, can you make an autonomous checkout store with still real shoppers though, right? And of course, Amazon had just done this with Amazon Go. They had, uh, you know, earlier that year that we launched, they had done their first Go store. Yeah, when did you launch? They were what, January 2018? When were you guys? We were that fall right after them, so probably seven, seven, okay. eight months after them. Um, we were hoping to beat them to the punch, but <laughs> <laughs> apparently they've been working on this for like 10 years. So I'm not, no, right. I, won't, I won't begrudge them that victory. <laughs> so, you know, they, they launched Go and, and we launched Standard Store in San Francisco. Okay. Uh, which which was great, right? It was it was for us closing that first chapter of the book. You know, Amazon had done this. One other provider had done this now, um, and really shown that yeah, if if you really put your mind to it, you can create a store that has autonomous checkout. So that was that was great. And of course, it was great for us to learn a lot about how shoppers really behave in in a store like this. We continue to learn from that. Um, in fact, it's it's actually a really great place for us from a dog fooding perspective because as we're now partnering with major retailers, we need to be able to not just deliver them a technology. We need to deliver them an understanding of how to transform their 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 business, their stores, their experiences that they're delivering to their to their customers. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know we have, we've got a great guy from Target actually that runs our store, uh, our standard store, and he also is now taking on a lot of our our customer success because he's now he comes from traditional retail. He also knows how to run an autonomous checkout store, and he's really marrying those two things together and is able to you know put a put a cogent kind of playbook together, which yeah, is which is super exciting. So that was, cool. that was, that was kind of phase, phase one of that, okay. of our industry, not, not just standard, but I think, you know, the industry as a whole, mm-hmm. I think we're, we're not to, not to jump the gun, I guess, too much on, on the topics of today, but, you know, phase two for us, or, you know, the second chapter of this industry is, okay, great. You can do this in a controlled setting. Right. But does that really mean that we can transform retail? And in order to do that, we've focused on what we call retrofits, which is how do you, how do you build this technology? That's not just seamless for shoppers, but seamless for for retailers. And that means that you can't change their SKUs, you can't change their shelves, you can't change the way that they stock and do operations. So you can't say like, hey, you can't, you know, if you're out of this product, we're just going to allow you to sell air instead of putting in extra, uh, you know, ketchup, which might not be the right product that's supposed to go there, right? right. If you walk into a ghost store, you see all these empty spots, which is a great sin in, in retail, right? You don't sell right. air. Um, or even just putting up gates, right? We, all, we know from you know, e-commerce that you don't put friction at the beginning of a trip. There's going to be friction and always, always reduce it. But if there's going to be friction, put it at the end. And by that, just for those listening, to be clear, you mean like the almost the equivalent of like the airline app scan to get into the store. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then of course, you know, putting gates up also changes the entire layout of your store, which is a major renovation for a retailer. Mm -hmm. So our thesis was really like, look, this has to be friction free for shoppers. We've done that, but it's also got to be friction free for retailers. We don't want to change anything. We're just this layer on top. We're just cameras overhead. It's vision only. Uh, we, it's easy to install. You don't have to shut down the store. And then we deliver autonomous checkout to their shoppers into the same store with the same shopping experience with the same you know, great SKU selection that those shoppers know and love. So it's just, it's just only better. And it, you know, our thesis was you have to do it that way. You have to have all those features in order for this to make sense for a retailer to go wide, to deploy this to 1,000 stores, 10,000 stores. 
And that's really the, that, that feasibility of that type of product, which is much harder than the controlled environment. You're now out in the wild, just dealing with the store and you can't control things. That was really phase two for us, which we're just now kind of closing the chapter on of, yep. yeah, we, we have, we have figured out how to do this. We have stores actually running right now with, with, uh, autonomous checkout retrofits. And we're really excited that having delivered that we're ready to move on to the final phase. Which you is, do. How, how many stores do you, let's, let's get wonky about that a little bit. Yeah. too. When I kind of learn here kind of, cause there are two schools of thought on it. There's the retrofit approach or you take an Amazon go or what some of the other competitors would espouse the sensor fusion route as well, mm -hmm. that that's, you know, kind of how you do it bigger at Boulder at scale where let's back up the, where are you? So in terms of you've got your own store, where else are you guys live? you know, right now in terms of the number of operations you've got out there in the world. Yep. So in addition to a standard store, we've got three stores running right now. Systems fully, fully live. We have alpha shoppers there that are, you know, getting the full experience. And of course the system, you know, whether you check in or not, whether you have our app or not, which works mm -hmm. across all of our stores, the system is, is calculating your cart for, for everybody. And, uh, and then and where are those? Oh, sorry, Jordan. Where are those stores? Are they in the U.S., Japan? Like, what is? What, I know there's been a lot of activity you guys have had over there too. Where are they? Those three are are North America, predominantly U.S. Okay. Although we do have we do have partnerships around the world. So we'll we'll be we'll be rolling out more widely. But you know, to start with, for the first stores that we went really deep with to to prove this out as fast as possible, we we went here in the U.S. And just and so people understand too. Just to make sure I want to make sure it's clear too. Unless you're scared for me as well. So when you say you have it live going, it means that basically means things are running in the background. The consumer is not actually partaking in outside of your own store. The consumer is not partaking in a checkout for you experience as of yet. You're just understanding all the dynamics and data that's happening that would eventually enable that. You're kind of checking the tolerances and whatnot of the fact that it could work over the long run. Is that right. So we are, we are checking the tolerances. We also do have early adopters who are just, you know, okay. not, not just running in the background. They, they show up to the store and they, they have the app and they can check in and, and, and walk out and, and get their receipt automatically. So it is, it is the full end to end experience. And then over actually, you know, we're really on the precipice here. We've been, we've been in that mode for the last six months or so. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be launching those, those stores into a sort of public kind of go live rather than the soft launch that we've already have. So it'll be that, that general available, anyone that wants can, can download the app and, and get that experience. Interesting. Okay. So, Oh, wow. Can you tell us who that is yet or no? Is that still <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well but stay, stay, stay tuned? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> awesome. But, but there should be something launching in the coming, what'd you say? A few months of where that has been, where that experimentation has been happening. And then in theory, if I heard you right, then in the next few months, I should be able to walk into these stores similar as I walk into an Amazon go or any of the other checkout free installations. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we'll be launching those generally available. Uh, and then of course we've got other, other deployments coming up as well. So the circle K for example, yeah. the partnership we just announced, um, we'll be, we'll be launching with them early next year. Uh, and we have, we have other, other, other deployments upcoming as well. And, you know, one thing that we're super excited about with circle K and, and the client that we'll be announcing and launching with, with soon is, is really about this final chapter of the autonomous checkout industry, which is, which is scale. Okay. Uh, and, you know, circle K has 15,000, locations. The, the customer that we'll be launching with uh, shortly also has a little over 15,000 uh, of these markets that they, they run. It's just an incredible amount of scale. And if you want to reach that, you have to do it in the way that we're doing it. You ha it has to be a retrofit. It's the only way that you can feasibly reach that many stores. Right. Yeah. And, that, and that's, and that's, and there's, I think there's two schools of th two schools of thoughts on thought on that. Right. Two, in terms of like, I think one, to your point, like it, it takes experimentation to get there. Right. I think, 
that's what mm-hmm. I think we're finding. That's what I think was interesting about the announcement this week in terms of the get-go store in, uh, in Pittsburgh, too, taking that similar approach. Um, where are the limitations, though? Like, you know, is, I mean, a lot, there's some people that would say convenience stores are really hard to do. You've got, you know, you've got direct store delivery items that are coming in and out. You've got seasonal SKUs that need to be adjusted. You've got people putting up big displays for alcohol and all oh, those yeah. things. Like, and some would say that, you know, you almost have to have sensor fusion to go above 10,000 square feet based on what some of the, you know, algorithmic uh, restrictions are in terms of how these things work. How do you think about all of that in terms of what I just said? I mean, I know that's a lot, but I think it's a fundamentally critical question, which is why we do this show. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great question. There's really two dimensions that I, I think about in terms okay. of challenges. So there's, there's the kind of obvious dimension, which is just scale. Uh, like, can you go to a bigger and bigger store? And can you go to more and more stores, right? Those are right. two different notions of scale. So that's, that's really just an engineering question. You know, if you have a system that works, can you scale it? Talk, talk to the engineers, right? Enough time, enough, enough polish, sure, you'll, you'll make this scale. There's a different dimension of challenges though, which is complexity. And this was kind of what you were talking about at the beginning of your question, you know, the, the SKU selection, the types of SKUs, the way that the store is bringing in new SKUs, what's the SKU turnover? Those are really challenging things to deal with. Uh, in addition to like restricted categories like alcohol and tobacco, et cetera, right? Like right. The, that, that dimension, of complexity is, it, you know, it's not just throw engineers at this. It's, hey, we need to sit down and really think in a principled way about what's the product experience here? How do we interface with the store operations? Some of these might even be new computer vision challenges if you want to be able to recognize certain types of products in certain ways. Uh, and then you need to have a roadmap to, to deliver that. And I think, you know, really convenience stores, you're right, are really complicated and they, they demonstrate a lot of the complexity that you will see even at a larger format store. Uh, in fact, you know, there are larger, larger format stores with similar SKU counts or SKU selections to a convenience store. You know, you're talking about, you know, a few thousand uh, types of SKUs in a convenience store. There are large format stores that have similar, similar SKU counts. They just happen to be much, much bigger, right? So I do think from a complexity perspective, the industry is already reaching, not the end game. There's, I think there's still a little bit left, uh, but with convenience stores, you're already seeing the kind of lion's share of, of complexity. And then there is this other dimension to kind of come back to the, to that part, which still still remains, you know, there's going to be a long arc of optimization and polish to make this, you know, work in ten stores, a hundred stores, a thousand stores. But we're we're kind of well on our way on that on that path, and it's really just good old fashioned engineering. Has the has the going back to the first part too? Has the industry solved just the sheer size factor and skew count factor that as you get into 30, 40, 50,000 square foot grocery stores, or is there still just more that needs to be done there in terms of just the technological evolution of how this is going to work? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So, I mean, no one's demonstrated that yet. I think the, the largest demonstration Amazon, we've seen, right? yeah, I think Amazon's done a 10,000 10, square foot right? store, yeah. right? which is still, you know, an impressive demonstration. There's rumors that they're going to be trying to roll this out to Whole Foods early next year, which, you know, that'll be on the, the 30 to 40,000 square foot size store. So certainly impressive, but no one, no one's done that yet. No one's, no one's shown that yet for us. It's, it's, you know, we can't tomorrow turn around and do a 30,000 square foot store at this point, but it hasn't really been where our, our main thrust has been. One, one, just from a go-to-market perspective, we've been very focused on, on convenience. Really, what we refer to as high velocity. You know, ultimately, we're, what we're trying to do is deliver convenience. It's, we're trying to get rid of the line, and I want to I give that to a shopper as much as possible. So where, where do people go every day? 
or at least a few times a week so that I can substantively improve their lives in a big way. That's that for me is, is convenience. You go to the grocery store once or twice a month. I'll, I'll wait in line five minutes for now. Of course I want to get rid of it. Uh, but you know, if I'm the kind of person that goes to a QSR or to a, to a convenience store every day on my way to work, I want to, I want to get those five minutes back every day. That's, that's, that's really meaningful for me. Yeah, so just from a, yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. You want it fast. So, so to your, like, to your point, what I hear you saying is like, yeah, there, there's still more work to be done there. That's not where you guys are focused in terms of that larger footprint. It really is like, how do we make, you know, kind of the convenience style operation where you want to get in and out quickly? How do we make that as, as friction free? Um, Absolutely. And, and, and larger like, formats still, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, and the amount of data that you're able to collect to make the experience better overall, right? I mean, the yes. more time, the higher frequency trips, the more that the computer can learn and then share that with other locations on scale, right? Absolutely. Yeah. No, there's definitely a sort of data moat advantage to, to being early here. Uh, it, one store can generate a ton of data. Um, but then, of course, if you reach bigger scale, you, you generate even more data. And just, just in this kind of is on the sort of business side. Uh, you know, you want to you want to build some moats long term to defend this this business. And right now, the biggest moat that we have and other other players in this space have is this is just really hard. You know, it's it's a rarefied place to to be in, but that's not going to be true in five years. And it's definitely not going to be true in ten years. The the technology is going to get commoditized. Computer vision is going to get incredibly mature. It's already getting to the point where some problems that we had three years ago are the kind of things that you can just go to GitHub and download a solution. <laughs> and it's like, man, we've spent like six months, 20, <laughs> 20 people on that. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, the, the technology is commoditizing. So what you have to do is you have to transition into more, more traditional business modes. One of them, which is more unique to AI in general, is the data mode. You know, and, you know having more data means that you have more accurate systems. The more data, the better. Um, and even if you have the better algorithm, someone with a worse algorithm but better data will win. They'll have a more accurate system overall. This is kind of the, the Google play where Google gives away all of their AI technology effectively. TensorFlow is, is free and that's okay because Google's secret sauce is not the algorithm, it's the data. It's the trillions and trillions of, of, of uh, data points that they have. So I think very similar, we'll see that with, with the, the checkout free industry. The other big moat that we're, we're really bullish on is, is the shopper network and ultimately, what you really want is to win the hearts and minds of shoppers, as I, as I keep saying. Uh, one thing we're really excited about is across our different retail partners, it's the standard app that gives you this experience, right? In five years from now, that's, that's what we wanna be capturing. It's you walk into a store and you, you know that you're good to go because you've got standard in your pocket. It becomes, you know, not, to, not to scare the shit out of Visa, but it becomes the new Visa, right? <laughs> Which is, <laughs> you know, that's the way that you pay. It's, it's no, not everywhere you wanna be because yeah, I can't- Yeah, that from others, yeah, yeah. makes sense. And is that, is that particularly more, is everything you just said particularly more true if you're taking the retrofit approach in terms of like how quickly yes. that data mode starts to congeal? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you want to reach scale and the only way you're going to reach scale is by going deep in these existing fleets, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Circle K has 15,000 stores. Even if we had the, the cheapest, most amazing technology for a new store, a build out, and we said, hey, Circle K, we'll give this to you for free it would take them decades to build 15,000 new stores. It's just, mm -hmm. it's not tenable. If you want to reach that scale in the next couple of years, it's, it's gotta be a retrofit. And that's, that's really the way that you capture the retail network and then capture the shopper network because of it. Got it. Okay. All right. So I got to ask you one question, I think in closing, just cause I, I think it's, it's, it, I think it's been out there for a while and I hear about it a lot in circles. And so I'll put you on the spot a little bit with this one, but 
you know, a couple of, I think it was a couple of years ago, I think if I'm looking right, it was like back in 2018. I think it was Fast Company did a, an article on you guys and they were talking about some of your work in Japan. And what was talked about that time was at the time was that you guys were going to have about 3,000 stores, if I'm not mistaken, up and running in time for the Tokyo Olympics, which was yeah. supposed <laughs> to be three months ago. That's right. That's right. What, what was all that about? <laughs> Why didn't it happen? And, and just, just what was going on there? Tell us what, what, what that whole story was. Absolutely. Uh, well, we were wrong. <laughs> okay. We're not about to launch 3,000 stores. Um, we weren't intentionally wrong. You know, we, we, had, we had grand ambitions. We still, we still do. Uh, you know, Amazon in a similar way, I think actually had a similar number a couple of years ago, which was they were claiming about 3,000 yeah, Amazon Go stores. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think for us, you know, what, what ended up happening was we had just, I can't remember exactly when the article came out. We'd either just launched Tinder store or it was coming soon. Uh, and we thought we had mastered this this technology. So it was gonna be about moving on to phase three of let's scale, let's operationalize. We didn't really appreciate how hard phase two was gonna be, which is translating this technology to work in a in the wild store, store that we don't control. We knew it was gonna be a little bit different, but we really did not appreciate that it was gonna be multiple years of, of R&D work to, to close that gap. Uh, so that, that was that was a surprise. Definitely wrong. I'm I'm notorious for being wrong on timelines. <laughs> I think That's I prognosticated like, correctly, yeah. <laughs> but usually wrong by by a couple of years. Uh, so yeah, that was got yeah. it. No, I appreciate you saying that too. So so basically, this this kind of next three months for you guys is kind of is a real put up or shut up in some ways in terms of like, hey, have we really done what you said in that that phase two? Am I am I hearing that right? Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're incredibly excited to be, to be launching a few stores. And like I said, we'll have a few more coming early next year. And really, these are, these are the retros. Like This is the product that we intend to scale and bring more widely. And there'll still be a ramp up. You know, we're not going to get to 100,000 stores next year. Right? Like, I like to, I'm, a, I'm a Tesla fan. I like to say we, we just finished building the first Roadster, right. and now we've got to build the Roadster factory. Or rather, I would say we're halfway in the middle of building that Roadster factory. So there, there's still things to figure out. We'll still have you know, interesting operational challenges to figure out in terms of how to how to scale this. But it really becomes an ops question rather than a, you know, core R&D product question. And I'm, cur I'm curious too, because I, I think this is important too. And I, I think, you know, one of our central thesis in the work that we do is there just needs to be more experimentation and that retailers can do a lot of that experimentation without spending a, a, a large degree of money to do it. And yet, for some reason, what I really love about the standard store, for example, it's a great example of concept work of putting an idea out there and seeing if it works like the concept car in the auto industry. You just mentioned Tesla. Like what, what did you learn from that experience of thinking we could go that fast and almost to a way marketing that you could go that fast. And then ultimately saying, Hey, you know what? We can't. And the reason I ask that there's a lot of that out there, especially in this space. So what did you learn personally? And then what do you think both the checkout free industry and retailers in general should take from that experience that you had? Yeah. Yeah. That's a big question. I, I think, you know, really there's, there's two major fundamental challenges here. Uh, one of them is AI and one of them is not it's, it's operations, it's integrations, it's, it's partnerships, it's figuring out how to make this work. And when you, when you sit down on the surface, you look at autonomous checkout, you know, maybe you go back three or four years ago and you start thinking about this like I was. I was, you know, from first principles, like, let's think yeah. about what it's going to take to build this. You know, there's some part of your brain that's like, yeah, I get it, right? There's all the traditional sort of trappings of a business here, and we're going to have to figure out, you know, our account management and customer success, et cetera. But, you know, it's the AI. That's, that's the hard part, right? And it is. It is really hard. But it's actually... 
you know, not, not the lion's share. I would say it's kind of equal share between that and just, just all these old fashioned parts of building a really challenging enterprise grade business. You know, you're, you're interfacing with these incredibly large partners who have massive operations. You know, one of our partners has hundreds of thousands of employees uh, and it's, it's crazy, right? It's crazy just for them to run their own business, you know, kudos to them because retail is an incredibly chaotic place. Right. And we're coming in and saying, look, look, we're, we're bringing you some magic. It really is pretty magical, but let's also be honest, this is going to be hard to integrate into your business. It's going to change a lot. And we're, we're making this as friction free as possible for you, but still at the end of the day, it's, it's going to change a lot. And we need to really figure out how to transform, you know, a multi-billion dollar retail, just one, right. Is, is kind of a project. Um, that's, that's really where we've underestimated. It's not just the technology, it's, it's the operations. How do you deal with stocking? Does the stalker need to do anything differently? Do we need to adapt to the different patterns of how a stalker works? You know, you have planograms in a store which are never accurate. So now we have things called relograms, which are our, our corrections on top of the retailer planograms. Uh, you know, you're just dealing with all this chaotic complexity. You know, even just the, the SKU catalog of a store is hard to, it's hard right. to keep up with. Uh, it's hard for them to keep up with it. We have, we've had days where our system will recognize something, meaning we've ahead of time, we've ingested that skew. We've got it into our catalog. We've built machine learning models to recognize it. And ultimately our, our system will put it into a virtual cart. Um, and then when we're running in the background, we get dinged as an accuracy error. And it turns out it's because their POS didn't even have that skew in their system. Right. right? Uh, like that's, that's the level of, of chaos that exists inside of, inside of normal, retail that's hard to deal with and i think that's the lesson here right like to me and 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 that's why i wanted to do this interview with you and that's why i applaud you actually for sitting down and doing this interview with me and, and taking that last question quite frankly because it's a pretty pointed question and that's our reputation is to try to get candid to the points that are going on here but i think you know i think from our vantage point what we've seen in the industry is there's been a lot of talk about hey how much can we do how fast can we go how much money have we raised all that kind of stuff but at the end of the day, what matters is that this is a really complex problem that you still are trying to solve, like you just said. And the only way to solve that is through the experimentation and to go out on the limb of experimentation and innovation and actually put these stores in the market. Yes, and absolutely. So that, and so that's why I'm hoping too. like, I, I wish you guys, I think Ann and I both wish you like kind of nothing but the best of luck as you, it's what sounds like you have a bitty, a pretty big step coming in terms of trying to do that and seeing how what you've been working on is really working out in market. Um, and I, I hope we can maybe have you back and have that conversation again once you guys are live and up and going and seeing in a very open dialogue format like we have today, like what are you learning from that that maybe you, you saw or didn't see uh, as things start to progress. So, well, hey man, thanks a lot. That was, I hope that was a ton of fun for us. I really appreciate you doing it. Again, Jordan Fisher for everyone listening and watching, CEO of Standard Cognition, as always, be careful out there.